Greetings and welcome to the Wall and Main podcast. I'm Douglas Blake with Kingswood US. We're standing at the corner of Wall Street and Main Street. As we close out season two of the Wall and Main podcast, I've got a holiday gift for our listeners. Today's guest is one of the all-time great athletes and an incredibly successful businessman, college and pro football Hall of Fame quarterback, Fran Tarkenton. Fran, thanks so much for joining us today. My pleasure, Douglas. Fran, I got to tell you, I don't even know where to begin. Uh, we're so honored to have you on the podcast, and I think you're uniquely positioned to talk to us about both Wall Street and Main Street. So if it's okay with you, let's start out on Main Street. Okay. How did you get into football in the first place? And what about the sport piqued your interest? Well, you know, I've, I've said that if you're going to be a professional athlete, golfer, uh, baseball player, football player, basketball player, you got to start really young when you can, when you can go and dare to be great. And I started playing football from the time in basketball and baseball from the time that I could think. Uh, I lived in Washington, D.C. In, uh, uh, in my early years. And at five years old, six years old, seven years old, I played football in the alleys behind my house. And it was touch football. It was two-man touch football. We had games. And it was interesting that, that, and that you know, I, I, had to, I didn't have much much room in the alley. And I had to, I was the pastor and my brother was the, was the receiver and he was two and a half years older than me. And so I had to run and buy time into that little section of the alley to be able to get the ball down to him wherever he might be. And so what you do by starting early in life, you learn to do things because failure is just part of your life. Uh, and you're not embarrassed by it. And, and you're just trying and trying and trying and trying fearlessly to be better, 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 better. And so all of this started uh, when I could think, walk, run, and, and I did it in all three sports. And, and I think you go look back at the greatest athletes, Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods, I have on my show, that's incredible. And he and his father came on the show, and he was four years old. He was hitting golf balls on the, on the, on the golf range. He was hitting golf balls into a net in his father's basement. He, he, gave, he taught him how to hit a golf ball, how to think about golf, when he was just four, five, six, seven years old. And I remember we did this, this had him on the show, and, and John Davidson, who was my co-host of Bass Incredible, said, what do you think? How do you think this is going to work out? I said, he'll never make it. His dad will hurt him. I was wrong. His dad made him. His dad coached him every day. He cared about him, of course. And he and without his dad's tutoring and mentoring and coaching, you wouldn't see it. Tiger Woods would have never been Tiger Woods. So it's uh it it it, it starts early. Yeah, you know, and that's part of it. And there's a lot of um, you know, of, of Tiger Woods dads out there pushing their kids to be great, but they don't all turn into Tiger Woods. No. I think you have to have a little something inside of you. And of course, you certainly have to have talent uh, to yeah. get past a certain point. And, and so because, you know, if, 
if, if this turns into a football podcast, we're going to be here all day and tomorrow before we even get to business. So, you know, in the interest of time, but certainly not because there's not more to cover here, we'll keep going. Okay. From, from high school, you know, from being a successful multi-sport athlete and kind of honing in on football, for mere mortals like myself, can you describe the experience of playing at the University of Georgia and winning the SEC championship, especially coming from the back alley, throwing the football around, uh, you know, as a child? Well, you know, it, it, it just was kind of like it was supposed to be. I, uh, I didn't think about it when I was in Washington, D.C., but it was just part of my DNA. And I got to Athens, Georgia, and I played in the YMCA, and they had a more structured, but it really wasn't structured. But I got to play, and again, in a young age, we won a state championship at Athens, Georgia. When I was a junior at Athens High School, went over to the University of Georgia. We won the SEC championship. There wasn't a playoff of who's the best in the country back then, so we didn't have a chance to play for the national championship. And at each stage, I just had this love of playing, love of competing, love of getting better. And I had this chip in my brain that I just knew. I just knew that I was going to be a professional basketball player, a professional baseball player, and a professional football player. Obviously, that's impossible, really. Uh, Deion Sanders played a little bit of baseball as, as well as being a great cornerback in football, but but you have to choose at some point. But all of this time and playing all three sports, I really understood competing in teams and, and being dependent on making your teammates better. And I, I took that leadership role from the time I could, could start playing because I was always the quarterback. I was the guard on the basketball team. I was setting up the plays there. And I just had this chip in my brain that I loved doing that. And I never, I never got tired of doing that. But all the things that drove my body to do the things I did were right here. And I didn't, when I got into play, I didn't have to think about it. They just came naturally. And if I threw an interception, it didn't bury me. If, if I made a wrong call, it didn't bury me. I learned from it, and I, I and I moved on. I, I, I didn't I, I didn't sit there and and just oh poor pitiful me. I I did this bad thing and didn't. But I I never I never was there. So I, I get that, <laughs> and I'm still I have to bring it back to the perspective of a mere mortal. And there is always a pressure you feel in team sports, in you know keeping your end of the bargain, not letting your teammates down. Uh, but what's it like, you know, trotting out onto a field with thousands of people focused on you and literally looking at you? You're the focal point of the team. Yeah. You're the, the big name. What What is that pressure like or what does that feel like? Well, you know, it, that's a that's a very good question. I don't know if anybody's ever asked me that question. Uh, I... I did an interview yesterday back to Minnesota. They, they talked about, I think, this week is going to be the Minnesota Vikings' 1,000th game. I played in the first game in 1961, September 61. 
And but it goes back to my high school days. We played at night in Georgia. We played on Saturday afternoon, and in pro football, we played on Sunday afternoon. But coming out of that tunnel, being in that locker room, and you're looking across at your at your teammates, and you're going to go to war. Uh, you're going to play 60 minutes, and and there's no certainty. The other other teams have great players and great coaches than this, and and it, it was it was it was a, a, a rush for me that I running out of that field and hearing that applause and going out with your teammates. Uh, I just felt like I could. I was about ten feet tall. I was running on top five feet above the ground, and I could just fly, just fly. And I thought I could do anything. There's this power of, of the, the moment. Uh, God took me the first time I did this in high school football and the, and the last time I did it at age 39 at Metropolitan Stadium in Minnesota. It, it's a rush that you can get nowhere else. Nick, Nick Saban, the great coach at, at uh, Alabama, uh, he's now 71. That's really old for a coach of my era. Coach has been coached past 55. And so I asked him one night a couple of years ago, I said, Nick, how long are you going to do this? I've always got to have something to do. I said, I'm going to tell you something, Nick. You're never going to have the charge you do when you're running out for the national championship with your Crimson Tide players and your coaches to play for a national. That'll never, you won't duplicate that. But I'm going to tell you something. I was wrong. What I felt in college and in pros and in high school, I feel it here in my office right now. I just had a review with one of my, my guys here for an hour, and we're talking about plans for next year and the technology and things that were possible. It's a different charge I get here, but it's just as powerful as the one I had when I walked on that field at Metropolitan Stadium, Minnesota, when I was a 21-year-old rookie. That's so incredible. And, and I'm, I'm glad you brought us there because I, I was going right there. Uh, playing in Minnesota, you played under Bud Grant. Yeah. What did you learn playing for him? I learned, when I played in high school, I think the coaches were yellers and screamers. My college coach was a yeller and screamer. When I came to Minnesota as a 21-year-old rookie, my coach was a yeller and screamer. Bud Grant never yelled, never screamed, never raised his voice because he didn't have to. He always made sense. Uh, he was like a sounding board that I could come and talk to him about anything. We're playing a championship game against the Rams, L.A. Rams and Mets Stadium. Late in the game, I called my own, own place. You didn't have the situation today with a coach up in the box is calling the play. I called the play. But I came to the sideline because we had a timeout. We had three or four or five minutes left to play. We had a three, three or four point lead. And it was third down. Third down and four, third down and five. And I said to Bud, I said, Bud, what do you think? He said, well, you know, I think if we stayed out here and played another three or four quarters of football, the Rams couldn't score on us. Our defense was that good. He didn't tell me to run the ball. He told me, 
process that information, and probably the best thing to do is run the ball. And I ran the ball. I didn't throw it, unlike what I would normally do. I, I, I ran the ball. We didn't make first down, and we won the game because we – it's that type of thinking. He thought differently than I did. He thought differently than anybody I'd ever been with. He wasn't an X and O's guy, but he was the greatest game manager, life manager every day that I've worked with him that I've ever been around. And he made my last six years of football a joy. And we went to three Super Bowls in those years. We won championships. And, uh, and we could not have done them without the leadership which made me understand that leadership is important. If you don't have great leadership in your business, if you don't have great leadership in what you're doing, uh, then then you won't you won't get where you want to get. And he was my model for leadership. You know, that's such an interesting moment that that you use as an example because it probably doesn't stand apart as, you know, the the shining moment in your career or in your relationship with him, but one that you remember specifically. And I think the more we learn about leadership, um, certainly through, through the journey of this podcast and speaking to some very successful people in, in all walks of life and all areas of business, uh, but also just in, in, in life itself, as you learn about, you know, the components of a good leader, it's not delegating marching orders so much as it's a dialogue and allowing the other person to be involved in the decision-making as well, um, I think that truly makes a great leader. So, you know, what, what are your thoughts on that? Because that, that example was very specific to yeah. him not telling you what to do, but sharing what he thought and allowing you to draw your own conclusion. Well, I think the leader, the more you involve the people around you and get to their thinking, uh, you know, as, as a quarterback, I came on the sidelines and I, you know, I see the quarterbacks now stand on the sideline and they got pictures. They're looking of, of, of formations and things that have happened to their team during the game. I got on the sidelines and I talked to my line. I talked about receivers and I wanted them to be involved in the thinking because they knew what was going on better than I did. I'm taking the snap from center and dropping back the pass. I'm handing the ball off, but I'm out of a shot. He's running a pattern against their defensive back on the right side of the left at every play. So I'm like, let me know. Tell me what you're doing. Tell me what they're doing to you. Tell me what's working. I come three, third, third down and one yard to go. I had this big right tackle, Ron Yeri. He was a beast. He was my strongest guy. I ran 80% of the time on third and one, third and two. I ran to his side. I said, I said, Yeri, can you get me a yard? Yeah, I can get you a yard. Can you? Can you get your guy inside or outside? I can take him inside. I'd, I'd call the play to go outside. I involved my teammates in preparing for the game, telling me what they could do, what they couldn't do. It, it, they made me a pretty smart quarterback because I leaned on them to be able to give me input that nobody else could give me from them. From up in the stands or anywhere else they were they were doing and and that was that was very important to my to, to my to, to my career because my teammates if I if I, I I set all the passing records and I held them for 17 years longer than anybody else 
But my success was really to my, my, my teammates. They, they're the ones who made it happen. You know, I think one of the things that really created magic for you as a player was the ability to scramble. And we don't have to go all the way down that rabbit hole because that's a whole other podcast altogether. But it, it brought something to my attention about the way that your teammates had to interact with you. And I've watched a lot of football over the years. I'm a New York Jets fan, so um, <laughs> I guess uh, I I've, watched, I've watched a lot of football. I didn't say I watched a lot of good football. But um, one thing that you notice from a team that sort of lost its way or, or is low morale is they give up on the plays pretty quickly. Uh, you have a, a very set um, you know, playbook. You might have a pocket quarterback or even if you have a, a running quarterback. If the play falls apart, that's it. You know, half the team kind of gives up and resets and gets ready for the next play. And that pattern leads to a lot of, you know, uh, three and outs. Well, but, it, but what, the, the point I want to make, and then I want to hear your thought on it, is as a, as a quarterback who keeps the play alive, yeah. the team can never stop trying because they never know if the second or third version of the play is going to come back to them. So if you're a wide receiver and your, your route doesn't yield you a pass, um, you know, or, or a look, you can't just stop there. You got to stay in the game because you might have to throw a block for you running down the field, or you might have to, to, you know, create something because you've extended the play by not giving up on it and by taking it one way and, and, and turning it into a different direction. That's, that's pretty good thinking. Uh, I, 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 I came in in 1961. There was no running quarterback. Nobody ran. He was in the pocket. It was kind of religion. If you went outside the pocket, you 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 broke faith and and you're a freak. And and I was a freak. I was a, and they thought I was running to gain yards. I was running to give my receivers more chance to get open. And I would have drills during the week that nobody else had these drills. And I would get my receivers out there, and I would uh, uh, come back and, and run to the right. And if they're over here, they had to go and break their pattern and run to the right, run to the left. Because if I'm running to the right and they're running to the left, I cannot find them. I cannot see them. I cannot throw across my body and get to them. So I used my ability to be able to scramble, if you will, to buy time, if you will, to give them the chance to get open, but we had to have them understand that that they got to go in sync with me, so that I could 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 see them and find them. And we did those drills every every day of my practicing from almost the beginning of my career because it was an important part of it. And uh, again, what they misunderstood is that I was. I was just running. I was not just running. And, and, and if I was just running, I never would have broke all, all the pass records. And when Dan Marino broke my records after 17 years, I had writers say to me, gosh, we, we knew you. Uh, uh, we thought you were a runner. We never thought you would set the records. They didn't know I set the record because they thought I was a runner. They stereotyped me. And I was far more than a runner. Absolutely. And, and I think it, there's a great phrase that I heard and, you know, researching this, uh, this podcast for me was a delight because as much business as I, as I got to study, I also got to watch a lot of NFL films. And there was a saying that the, uh, the Vikings had uh, 40 for 60, 
right? So yeah. the idea of everybody on that team playing hard for the entire game. Yeah. And I, I would not, and, and I, I think, you know, an attitude is a reflection of leadership. And as the quarterback, you were a leader. And there was no question you were going to fight to the very end on every single play and in every single game. And I think that inspired a lot of that uh, camaraderie. I think that's right. But I think also, you know, I understood that I I was nothing without my offensive line, without my defense, without my teammates. And I had to recognize that. I didn't think of me as the star. They were the stars. They were the guys blocking and giving me time or running or defending. And, and it was and, – and the quarterback gets most of the praise, gets most of the money – I didn't, I didn't buy into all of that. My, my job was to involve my teammates and to make my teammates better. Right. If I could make my teammates better and give them more power of thinking and think they belong and they were part of it, then we had a better chance to win. And, uh, and so it, it's, it's not unlike business. Today, you know, I just had this hour meeting with my guys I mentioned, and, you know, with the technology that's in football, it's in baseball, it's in business, but the opportunities that we have today to leverage technology to be more efficient, more relevant, to make a difference in people's lives, do better things. I've never been in a time like this, and that's why at 82.10 uh, years old, I am having the best time of my life because I am learning at a faster pace in business than I've ever learned in my life. And it go, but it started back knowing that I don't know everything. I didn't well, know everything in football. And I, I had to, in my 18th year, I had to be better, smarter than I was in my first year in 1961. And, and, and the joy of coming to my office here today and Every day that I'm, I'm in Atlanta is that I am I am learning at a rapid place because the 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 the, the opportunity today for us in whatever business we're in that we can leverage technology to make us better and that's what I do every day. So let's let's shift gears and let's cross the street over to Wall Street because it, okay. it's a perfect segue and you know obviously there's another several hours of conversation we could have on the football side. What skills from uh, the sports world did you apply in business? How did you get your start in business? And was there a, a Bud Grant? Was there a mentor on the business side when you were first getting going? There are many of Bud Grants. On my wall right behind me, there's many pictures of Sam Walton. Uh, there's pictures of, of, of Bezos. Uh, there, there are pictures of... Uh, of, of, of people that uh, in business that I, I learned from uh, that as, like, as well as I learned from, from ex-quarterbacks that were Hall of Fame quarterbacks, coaches, and, and so forth. And, and I, uh, I believe in mentoring and coaching. And I met Sam Walton back in 1981. And, if, and people know Walmart now, but Sam Walton was a guy that was a store manager uh, and chasing pennies, and he had this idea of Walmart, and he went out and he and he pitched it to Sears, Roebuck, and Montgomery Ward, and all the big chains, and all of them they, they threw him out. And at 51 years old, he started Walmart. 
At 72 years old, he died. 21 years. No technology. This idea, he built the biggest company in the world. He was the richest man in the world. His family was the richest people in the world. And, 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 and he did it uh, uh, w- without all the tools that we have today because he was in. I spent so much time with him. And he even had the audacity to ask me questions. I'd go to open up his stores. He's asking questions of his people. He's talking to them and, and, and involved. That's leadership. And uh, uh, he was he was a prime uh, mentor for me, but I can give you a thousand different stories. I've never had an original thought myself. Everything I've learned is from what I saw, what I read, or what I what I heard. And I and I, I and I made sure I put myself in places uh, in business with 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 great great skilled people who had built companies that knew so much more than I could possibly know. And I've learned from them and I continue to learn and I continue to learn from people that work with me and uh, in this companies that we have. That's the fun of it all. The fun, if, if you've got if you're the boss and you're the only guy that's got all the answers and, and, and so forth. What a dull, boring life that is. I don't have all the answers. I need I need to ask a lot of questions. And and I and now in, in this era of technology, it is. It's it's unbelievable, but I'm learning at a, at a rate that I've never learned at in my life. You know, I, I think in, in your case, um, success has just been a byproduct of just about everything that you've done. But behind the scenes, there's a lot of failure, a lot of disappointment. Yeah. How do you suggest someone who's listening to this program from this moment forward, retrains their brain to to be resilient and to be successful. What are the components to a business that you that you're confident will be successful? Um, and, and what are some of the markings of a failure? What what are some of the things that maybe you can see early on to understand that that you're headed in the wrong direction? Well, you've got to understand and believe this that. You learn from losing. You learn from failure. You cannot be afraid to try and learn. And and maybe it doesn't work for five times, six times, seven times. But you you you. It's it's failure is an important part of success. You cannot have success without failure because you cannot. You if you don't if you're not learning and trying, uh, you won't have any failure. But you won't have any learning either. And so uh, I, uh, I I wrote a book about a book years and years ago about the power of failure, and everybody's afraid of failure, afraid of throwing an interception, afraid of making a bad decision. You go out and you do the best you can to make the best decision you can, and you and you and 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 then you it works or it doesn't work. You tweaks, you don't tweak. I've never been afraid of failure in business or in in, in sports or. Throwing a pass or throwing an interception or throwing two interceptions. After football games, if we won, we went out and celebrated and we had a few cocktails and we had our wives and we recapped all the great plays. When we lost, you know, I then went back to my house. I got on the old time projector and I started looking at film of the game and said, What did I not do? How did I not prepare? What, why didn't I? 
understanding, this, this, this. And all of that has been able to build who I am. And and I don't I don't believe in luck. I believe that, that the harder I work, the luckier I get. And I know that's true. And I and I don't fear failure one bit. And I don't fear asking questions upon questions upon questions of people 40 years younger than I that have that have knowledge in the technology world that, that I will never get. And I and I'm gonna I'm gonna learn and I and I do learn. And and that's that's the fun of it all. That's the fun of it all. The byproduct is, you know, we can produce products and services for our customers that we can make them better, make more money for them. And then if we make more money for them, we can make more money money for us. But it's, the world of business is not. I want to make money. I want to go out and make a difference. I want to go out and be able to make things work. And help my customers, help my partners. And the byproduct of that, you make money. Now, that's that's a good question because, you know, success and failure are both byproducts of trying to achieve something, yes. right? And, and so what what percentage of, of your effort is, is guided by a goal that you've set? And, and ultimately, what is the importance of setting goals in being no, successful? But- you you can set goals, but you've got to you've got to move you've got to move the marker also, and you got to change the goals as you move along, uh, because uh, uh, I cannot sit here and say, well, I want to be X in ten years from now. I want to be X next week, <laughs> and so so I, I I really want to go out and and my goals are all really based on my my customers, my prospects. And the people that work with me, what can I do to make their life better? When my focus is on my customer or my business partner, then I want to make sure that they do well before I do well, that I can have good partnerships. And I've had great partnerships in my in my lifetime because I knew that I couldn't do it all by myself. And I've had partnerships with Walmart, as I said. I had a great partnership for many years with, with the chairman of the board of, of IBM, John Akers. He's been passed a long, long time ago, but they were good. Great. I have a great partnership with ADP today, with Apple today, with Google today. And, and I learned from all, of, all, all these partnerships. And why would they want to partner with me? Maybe, I don't know, but, but I know this. If I do good things for them and I help them to do better, and make a little bit more money. I don't care whether you're Apple or Google or, or IBM. If I can help them do better, they like to do business with me. If I cannot do that, if it's all about me, I, I want you, you're a big company, you can help me so much. Nah, that, that, that doesn't do anything. But if I can show John Akers 30, 40 years ago that we could do something that maybe would add to their business, he liked that. And right. you know this the people today perfect transition uh, because I found one of your resources incredibly useful. You have developed seven maxims in business, and in the interest of uh, brevity, what I wanted to do was kind of like a word association where I'm going to go through the seven maxims quickly, and I would like for you to give me just a thought or a comment on each one. Does that okay. work? Yeah. All right. Number one, 
The mission of business is to help people. I've said it so absolutely. Make your teammates better. Make your customers better. Be a better partner. Yes. Number two, people have to talk to people. Oh, so important. Uh, you cannot just stick in your office, stick at your house now, the people working out of their house. I've got to, I, I've got to talk to people. I've got to talk to everybody to find out what they're thinking. That is so crucial. And so many times we don't do that. Number three, there are no silver bullets. Ah, that's for sure. And we've all been guilty of getting, hoping that will be a silver bullet and it'll be a magical thing that'll just make our life better. I haven't found any silver bullets. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like you might have found a couple. With the success you've had, man, you've got some silver bullets somewhere. Uh, number four, reinvent yourself every day. If you think you've got it all figured out, you're in for big defeats. I never think I've got it figured out. I've got to get better every day, and I work at that. You know, number five, I want to ask the question, but I, I have a 1A for that one. I have a follow-up question. Have a sense of desperation. I wake up every morning, even today, with a sense of desperation of I've got to I've got to be better. I've got to be a better coach, a better mentor, a better partner, a better person. I've got to, I've got to help us grow our business and we got to create more value for our customers. And my focus is always on my business partner and my, and, 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 and my customers. And I, I create a, a, a sense of desperation from the time I wake up in the morning, every morning. And that fuels me. My follow-up question to that is when you've had the kind of success that you've had, uh, I mean, you must be tired of success at this point. How do you stay hungry? How do you stay ambitious? Oh, uh, I, uh, I, I, you know, I, I look at, again, at uh, uh, Bill Belichick now and, uh, and, and his success he's had and how many Super Bowls he's won, or Tom Brady. Tom Brady's won, what, six Super Bowls? He's 45 years old? And it's not enough. He wanted to come back one more year and play again and have a chance. And, and, and I think that's in all of us. And uh, we never get tired of winning. Uh, and we don't want to be a dumbass and we don't want to keep losing. And we got to figure out ways that we can be better and win. And that never gets tiresome. Perfect. No, number six, learn more from your failures than your successes. I, that, in my case, that's the case. I, 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 I learn more from my failures, but you cannot learn from your failures if you blame it somebody else. If you don't take responsibility for the failure, you don't, you just gloss it on by. I take responsibility for losing three Super Bowl games. The reason we lost those Super Bowl games, I, I didn't figure it out. I didn't figure out how to, how to get more yards on offense, how to, how to outscore more points. And I, 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 I was a terrible failure in those three times. And that fuels me. I think if I'd have won uh, three Super Bowls rather than lost three Super Bowls, I might not have had that, that learned that lesson as much as I have now because that was, that was something that I've never forgotten. You know, <laughs> I'm, 
I give you permission because, <laughs> because this is your choice to feel that way, you know, and, and I, I could not even, I'm, I'm several galaxies away from getting close to experiencing an emotion like that. But it should be mentioned, there's a couple of things here. First of all, the Super Bowls were played in warmer climates. And one of the real competitive advantages your team had, especially on defense, was playing in the tundra in Minnesota. Um, number two, you did play against some of the greatest football teams of all time, including, you know, those 73 Dolphins, the Steelers and the Raiders. I mean, you know, I, you can be forgiven and, and came within a point, if I'm not mistaken, um, at, at the very least against the Dolphins. And man, I, you know, it's, I, you know, I, there is a number seven and I was going to save this question for a little bit later, but I want to use it right here because I, I can't imagine the notion of, of someone in your position still having regret or kind of beating themselves up over something. You are one of the all-time greats. And I just want to sit here with you with that sentence being a, an indisputable fact, just for a moment. You know, there's 8 billion people or soon to be 8 billion people on this earth. And you can count on one hand, you know, in, in terms of where you rank in, in football players, certainly probably pretty similar on the business side, you know, after your, your legacy, after your career, and, and even though you're still getting up every morning and fighting very hard to build on that, have you stopped to reflect on that concept that less people have walked on the moon and, and can call themselves all time greats. And you're one of them. <laughs> I, I, I really don't spend any time doing that. Uh, I, people ask me, why don't you go back to Minnesota and, you know, and everybody would like to see you. I appreciate that. I love the Vikings. I played my, my career, most of my career there. But I have no need to go back to hear the crowd cheer me and clap for me. And, and I'm, that's not my game anymore. I, I had this discussion yesterday with one of the guys at the Vikings. Why don't you come? I said, my game is here. I've got to be here. My team now, I'm, I'm a business guy. I've got business partners. I've got people that work here. I, that I, I, want to, I want to be better. I want to be a better partner. I want to be a better boss. I want to be a better friend. Uh, I, you know, and, and I want to make a difference in people's lives. And, and so I watch the Vikings, but I'm not just a football player. I am who I am today. What I was yesterday is gone. I want to reinvent myself today and be more relevant today and more helpful to other people today. And, and that's, that fuels me. So I don't need to go. I, I don't go back to Minnesota because that's not my team anymore. That's not my game anymore. That's not my career anymore. My career is right here working with these kids that, that are doing unbelievable things that's right. You know, that's it's such a, a, an incredible and, and uh, selfless um, way to feel about it. And But I, I have to share this with you. One of the delights that I had in watching a lot of the footage, and I, you know, I've been a fan over the years. A lot of my family members were in New York, a lot of big Giants fans. So yeah. your, your name, you know, you, you, you'll never have to buy a beer in New York or Minnesota or, or Georgia, right, for, for the rest of your life. But one of the greatest, uh, one of the most enjoyable things 
from doing this research recently is how other people spoke about you and not just your teammates, but hearing people say, you know, just imagine having to go up to Minnesota in the, in the tundra in sub-zero temperatures and, you know, their coaches on the sidelines in a t-shirt, they don't have any space heaters over there. They're just standing there. You know, here we are trying to defrost on the sidelines desperately and then running out and crashing into these guys, you know, for an hour plus. I mean, the, the imagine chasing Fran Tarkenton around in Miami in, a, in an 85 degree humid day. And I'm a, you know, 300 pound defensive lineman. Um, you didn't make it easy on them, but they respected the hell out of out of you and, and the fans too. just still to this day, Fran, the man the love and the, the adoration that they have for you. I'm sure it's hard to put that into perspective because everybody knows Fran Tarkenton, but you actually are <laughs> Fran Tarkenton. But I, I, you know, just as a fan, I, I have to say, I hope it's not lost on you that it's not just about you claiming your rightfully earned credit for your greatness, which certainly could be forgiven. It's about the fact that everybody else is so appreciative of that greatness and what it meant for them in their lives, not just in, in sports, but in business too. And the yeah. successful people and the success that you've created for the people around you. I see it. Our, our company works with your company, Kingswood US with Tarkenton Financial. Some of the best, nicest, most dedicated and hardworking people I've ever come across in the business. And that obviously is a reflection of you. The gratitude and the adoration that you get is not um, is not something that would quote unquote go to your head. It's yet another byproduct of the hard work that you've put in over these years. So well, you're nice to say all that, and I appreciate that, and I uh, and I'm and I'm respectful of that, and it amazes me uh, because I don't I really don't think of myself as some special, I'm in the Hall of Fame, great, wonderful. There are a lot of people in the Hall of Fame. I'm not affected by all that. What I'm affected by, back to the players, you know, playing against Deacon Jones and Merlin Olsen and Mean Joe Green and and these great defensive linemen. I, I really kind of embraced the defensive linemen I played against more than anybody else because they were big and tough and strong and trying to, you know, get after me. I'm going to tell you one Gino Marchetti story. Gino Marchetti, if your audience doesn't know who he is, go look him up. I think he was the greatest defensive lineman ever to play. Played in the era with John Unitas and the Baltimore Colts. And I'm, in, in my in my rookie year, uh, I'm 21 years old, playing against Johnny Unitas, my hero, and the Baltimore Colts, and we're an expansion team, and they were everything. And we beat them 27-17. And after the game, they asked Gino, who's a very soft-spoken, big Italian guy, said, Gino, how long does Tarkin go to the hat? What do you think of him? He's said, oh, nothing. They'll kill him. He can't run around like that. They'll kill him. He won't last two years in this place. 1967. I won Player of the Year for Sport Magazine. And I was now in New York. And so I, I was going to get the award. And they said, who would you like to give you the award for NFL Player of the Year in 1967? And I said, Gino Marchetti. And Gino Marchetti, <laughs> he, 
he was the guy that introduced me. I really, I've never even told the stories of the, about the defensive linemen, but they're the ones I'm playing against every day. I can talk to them across the line. And I did. Or they were trying to sack me, tackle me, frustrate them. I would frustrate them. And then, and then, but I had dialogue with them. And so I, uh, I was really a big fan of the great defensive linemen of my era. You know, a, a, a really nice, sweet, decent man uh, sitting here talking to me. But one of the one of the clips that I saw in researching you, and it actually kind of made the rounds again recently on social media, is um, such a fierce competitor. You got the ball in the end zone on one play and actually spiked it off of the opposing defender. <laughs> Well, here's it started what, a fight that I think got you thrown out of the game. So I got thrown out of the game. We're playing <laughs> the New England, we played the New England Patriots, and I and I ran the go-ahead touchdown from the five-yard line. I got in the end zone, and this little defensive back, uh, I can't remember his name now, he came over and kind of ran over my back of my ankle and knocked me down. And I was just crazed. And I got up. And I had the ball in my hand, and he was standing five yards, away, ten yards away from me. And I went, bam! Hit him right in the head. Knocked him down, then all hell broke loose. And there was a big fight, and I got thrown out of the game. I may be the only quarterback that ever got thrown out of the game. That's possible. And definitely, I think you're the only yeah. uh, football player that ever spiked yeah. the ball off of another player. But the, the fact that it was a, a New England Patriot as a Jets fan, I want to thank you personally. For that. <laughs> So number seven of the maxims is nothing takes the place of hard work. And I'm sure that's maybe even the most important. <laughs> and that's the truth. Uh, but, you know, uh, nothing takes the place of hard work. But I'm not sure what hard work really is. I guess, you know, some summer training camp, even in Minnesota, got hot in July and August. And, and you know, I, I'm not telling you, I just love practicing every day. But uh, the hard work of preparing – uh, for playing football games and to go against the greatest in the world and to figure out how can I beat them? How can I make it work? If I could have done that for all my life, I never would have stopped. And that's why Tom Brady doesn't want to stop now. But <laughs> yeah, luckily, I don't think you have stopped. No, and luckily, you know, I started in business when I was seven years old, the paper out in Washington, D.C. I've been in business all my life. I've worked. I had summer jobs when I was in high school, chicken farm, and I, I had all season jobs when I was playing football, and I started, you know, businesses when I was 25 years old, playing football, and and so it's it just, it, it it just, it's part of my, part of who I am. I, I'm just not a one-dimensional person, and but you cannot. You know, I, I mentioned you cannot be a great athlete if you don't start young in life. I don't think you can be a great business guy if you don't start young in life. And if you wait till you're 40 years old and finish football, too late. You, you don't have the experience. I started with that paper out in Washington, D.C. when I was seven years old, and I've worked ever since then. And that that has been so important to the development of, of who I am in business and 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 because I started young. 
Right. And, and, you know, this is a great way to kind of close it out because I, you know, I said I, I could be here all day and this has been an absolute thrill. It's been a pleasure. It's been a great conversation. I'd expect nothing less, right? Uh, if you're great at everything else, I'm sure you'd be great at this too, but you're uniquely qualified to talk to us about small business. And I think that's a really important question that a lot of people have right now. I, you know, the markets have always been challenging, right? There's yeah. And, and the economy has always been challenging. It's always had its opportunities and its risks. The last couple of years in particular have been as challenging as it gets. You know, looking back to the pandemic uh, and, and even where we are now, where we're sort of at this pivotal moment, I think, with, the, uh, with both the U.S. and the global economy, you have a company called Go Small Biz, uh, which provides assistance to small businesses across the country. What are you seeing as the challenges businesses are facing today and what opportunities might you see on the horizon? Greatest time in the history of my life for a small business person today. There are 30 million small business people, one to 25 employees. We're not talking about 50 or 75 or 100. And these are hardworking people that, that the ones who make it, they just knock on doors and knock on doors and they won't get, they, they keep getting back up and when they get knocked down. But what we've done over the I started this company 20 years ago, and we helped them a little bit 20 years ago, much as we could. We help them so much more now because we are working with small businesses to be able to work with Google and Apple to help them with digital marketing. A small business person, they cannot afford television ads and this ads and that ads and this ads, and, and they're working. And now, now we, can, we can really do things uh, with technology and digital marketing to help them be able to go out and, and afford to get, get customers and, and prospects that turns into customers. That's so exciting to me. It's, it's unbelievable. Because these, these are really the hardest working people in the world. They don't have big staff. They got to figure it out every day. How do I do better? And it, it's hard for them to be able to find, find uh, prospects and new customers. We are able today to do that with digital marketing. And we're at the Beginning stages, and we got it all figured out. We don't, but we are working at it, and we're working at it with the best technology companies, Google and Apple, on how to do this. And uh, we're not where we need to be, but we're getting there, and it's exciting. Speaking of exciting, I, I'm so excited to have our listeners uh, get a chance to sit and, and glean the wisdom. And, and be delighted in the stories that you've told here. And I can't tell you what a, what a treasure you are, really a national treasure. And I, I don't say that lightly, but to, to our listeners, uh, the spirit of what we do is trying to bridge the divide between Wall Street and Main Street yeah. on this podcast. And I don't know if there's anybody better or more, more entertaining in the process of doing so than you. But, but Pran, I really appreciate your time. I appreciate your generosity, both uh, with your with your business insight and uh, these wonderful stories that that I'll certainly cherish, and so will our listeners. And I can't thank you enough for being on the on the program today. Thank you, Doug. It's been my pleasure. Hall of Fame, all time great <laughs> business captain of industry, Fran Tarkenton, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs>